You're listening to another episode of the Sacred Changemakers podcast. My name is Jane Warrilow, and we have got a great roundtable lined up for you today. Now, this podcast is about change and transformation, but not just any old change. We believe in change for good, which lies at the intersection of three things, personal, professional, and social transformation. So come with us on a journey as we go behind the scenes with people who are making a real difference in our world. Each episode, we'll be diving deeply into a variety of topics that keep you inspired and at your best. Sometimes we'll be interviewing thought leaders, and sometimes we're going to be leading deep dive conversations, tackling the challenging issues of our times. And that's what we're up to today. We've gathered together some incredible change makers to talk about exploring self-care, stress, and mental health in turbulent times. The challenges and the opportunities that are present for us right now, as many of us around the world are still navigating COVID-19. But before I introduce today's guests, I have a simple request. I'd be so grateful if you would share this podcast with your friends or colleagues. I'd actually love as many people as possible to know about this conversation today. And would you please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or whatever app you're listening to? It's so helpful. It actually enables the algorithms to find us. It helps more people find our community and it helps our guests get their messages out to more people. So thank you. Now, we actually have three guests with us in Roundtable today. We have Dr. Paul Ward. Now, Paul is a director at the Global Center for Conscious Leadership. He's a conscious leadership coach and author of The Inner Journey to Conscious Leadership. He's passionate about making the world a better place to live and work, helping people reach higher levels of consciousness, championing conscious leadership, and enabling conversations that matter. So welcome, Paul. Thank you. Delighted to be here. Thank you. And we also have Julie Smith. Now, Julie is the creator of Success Through Stillness, a framework she uses to lead meditation workshops online in purpose and in corporations. She's also the chairman for the charity CCN, Contemplative Consciousness Network, which supports the merging of meditation and science. So welcome, Julie. Thank you, Jane. Thanks for holding the space for this conversation. Yeah, looking forward to it. Thank you. And we have Nick Warrilow. Now, Nick has been involved with technology as a profession for over 20 years. He runs the tech platform for both Coaches Business School and Sacred Changemakers, and also owns a search engine optimization company that works with entrepreneurs who are building socially conscious brands. Welcome, Nick. Thanks very much for having me. <laughs> Good to see you again, honey. <laughs> okay, so... Before we start, I want our listeners to, I want you to just know that we're recording this as different parts of the world are actually releasing the restrictions now that we have in place in response to COVID-19. In what I can only describe as still in many ways a global pause around the world. So let me open the conversation today to all of you with a personal question linked to our topic. So I just want to ask, what have you found to be most challenging about the pandemic in these times that we find ourselves in right now? Well, I'll kick that off. Um, so on a personal basis, I live in the UK. I'm from Canada. So for me, uh, this is the one time of year every summer I go back to Canada. I visit my family and I, I 
I mean, I would realize that that would be normally very hard, but in this situation, when you're worrying about people, um, mm -hmm. I have found that has been probably one of the toughest things for me. Um, as well, on a personal basis, uh, my boyfriend David and I had just moved in together literally a couple weeks before lockdown. Wow. And so <laughs> that also, especially because both of us are very much on a path and, you know, we talk about using these tools for stressful situations and then it's really upon you right. uh, and you're going, okay, I, which is a great thing. It's a beautiful thing because you recognize actually how that vulnerable you are in these triggers it really are there to help you evolve but you really have you know you have to work hard to practice them right right you're triggered there for sure <laughs> right I love that mm. and Julie there's a lot that you said there that really resonates for me because also I'm I'm from the UK living in the US mm. and same thing you mm. see I I I just don't feel it's safe enough to get on a plane right now to go and see my family or uh, all, all my friends in the UK, um, but just so thankful for this technology that we can still connect yes. to it. So, yeah. Absolute blessing for that, for sure. Yeah. A little bit of a common theme, I think, because um, I divide my time between <laughs> West Palm Beach, Florida, and Portsmouth, England. And uh, as the lockdown came about, about, I was actually in the UK and with a flight scheduled to uh, depart just after the lockdown was confirmed here in the UK. And I just spent a week trying to determine what to do. You know, do I stay here in England, which is where I did stay, I, I'm in England, uh, where my, my family is, or do I come back to um, Florida where my wife is? And so for a week, I really struggled with that choice. And, but ultimately made a very conscious decision, unknowing, not knowing what the future was holding, that I would stay uh, in England. And so that, uh, that has been a huge challenge. Now, you know, I've been teaching um, doctoral students online. I, I'm a university uh, lecturer. And so I've been doing that and that continues. So I love, you know, I have lots of interaction. There's a lot of Zoom conversations, both uh, from a professional perspective and also from a personal perspective. So a lot of hours, often with the time difference, uh, well into the evening. So uh, pretty challenging. I'm writing a new book, so there's, there's been some space to, to really start thinking about that. And uh, I'm doing some rebranding work. So again, a lot of space. But I think for me, the biggest challenge is the uncertainty about what next. And I heard you, you know, about jumping on airplane. And that's the question mm -hmm. for me right now, um, which we're having conversations about every few days about when would I be prepared to head back to Florida or maybe my wife will come and join us in, uh, in the UK next month. There, the uncertainty is really uh, raises the levels of anxiety beyond what I ex have experienced before. And for me, that's the personal um, challenge of this uh, high levels of anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's true for a lot of us, because one of the things I think about is how we're shaped by the environment that we're in energetically. And right now, the environment 
it's not it's not like what we're used to like the levels of fear and anxiety and worry that are kind of just circulating around because everybody's been affected. We're affected at a primal level, aren't we? Through our health and then the decisions, whether it's safe to fly or not. And then we're also being affected economically in our businesses. And a lot of people are struggling financially with this. And then like you're in the leadership space, Paul. So leaders for the first time really have no sense of what's going to emerge, what's happening, um, or even what they can count on for the second half of, you know, quarter three and quarter four for 2020. So, and beyond. So yeah, I think... That, that, that's, that's really necessary for leaders to be really adaptable right now. Yeah. Uh, that adaptability, which some leaders have naturally. Yeah. Some of us, you know, we, we attract it and develop it, but we do need to be flexible and adaptable because we really don't know what uh, is coming in the next months and years. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. Thank you. Nick? Well, I mean, there's a, I, I've got two ways of looking at this. I've got like the first person and the professional. And professionally, not a lot's changed for me. Um, because I'm involved with tech, then I just deal with computers a lot. <laughs> um, so my relationship with them hasn't changed. They can't get COVID-19. I, I can be as close as I like to them. Um, <clears throat> but uh, personally, uh, there's been some big effects because our daughter was going to get married, you know, not, it would have been, you know, within the next couple of months. And that all had to be cancelled because no one was sure that they could get from the UK to the US. Um, and we weren't even sure that, you know, groups would be able to meet at that point. So in, in terms of the personal, there's been some quite big changes that have had to take place. And it's, I don't know, challenge was a strange word for me to try and think of there because so much is changing that uh, I wanted to say I'm kind of waiting in anticipation to see what goes on next because who could have foreseen these events? And now the ramifications are kind of starting to unfold. And when Paul first brought up the idea of mental health surrounding you know, COVID-19 and the lockdown, it really kind of hit me hard. And, and I thought, you know, I might be in a bit of a bubble here uh, with my tech and not really quite understand what went on for everyone else and, and that's what really sparked my interest in this area mm. yeah and you're, you're raising something really important I think which is you know of course we all live very subjective lives and I've been speaking and I've been listening to a few different podcasts and different things and people are speaking from where they are and not always with a sensitivity or kind of a, even a, a consciousness of other people are in different places for different reasons. And I think there's a whole spectrum of experience going on right now. And I love this topic that we've got today, this exploring self-care, stress and mental health, because I think it's something that in the past has been very overlooked um, particularly in the leadership space, in the organizational space. I think it's been something of a, oh, well, maybe we should have it. Maybe we should think about the well-being of our people. 
and then we'll do this much of it. But it's always been very kind of like, in my experience anyway, it's been almost like we'll pay lip service to it and we'll kind of do the minimum maybe, right? And I'm talking generally. But I feel now things are changing. So I'd love to ask you guys like, and I'm going to ask you, Paul, because you're the catalyst for this conversation. Like self-care, stress and mental health right now. I mean, what's important about that for us, particularly now with everything that we're going through? Yeah, I'd like to come at that from a couple of different directions. Um, I actually, if when I'm in Palm Beach County, I and mean, even when I'm not, of course, but I serve on the board of the Mental Health America of Palm Beach County. Right. And I've uh, recently been the chair of the board for a while. And it's in, in some ways I continue with my role because all of the board meetings are on Zoom. So, uh, you know, <laughs> that, that continues. So that's just great that I can participate. But we had a meeting last week and one of the um, services that we provide is, is uh, peer groups. So for people with mental illness who are recovering, uh, we provide a service that allows um, uh, people with uh, mental illness to come together with peers because they don't, they, mean, they don't always want to talk to a doctor or a counselor. They want to talk to people who've experienced the same sort of mental health issues. And we've had to cancel those for the last couple of months. Now we were discussing last week, when can we open up and how might we open up? Because as I think of those people who are unable to come together in those peer groups, I wonder how they're suffering. Yeah. Because really this, this whole, our, our, all of our mental health is, uh, is under threat. And so I think about it from that professional perspective of, uh, of mental health organizations that are supporting people with mental illness. Uh, and, and that's, you know, it's devastating for some people that we're not able to provide that service. Um, but the other part of it is us. And uh, one of the things that I've experienced over the last two, three months has been loneliness. You know, this, uh, I, I'm, I'm very fortunate. I'm in an apartment that overlooks the harbor here in Portsmouth. Um, and I get out, I can walk along the seafront. Um, I can walk around the harbor. It's just a beautiful location. And May was a beautiful month. So I've, I've been able to get out. But what I've missed was the individual, that personal contact. You know, I spend a lot of time talking to family and friends on Zoom. But I had an interesting experience the other day. I was walking down by the by the uh, the harbor, and I saw someone just sitting there drinking a beer. And as I walked by, he always say hello, but he wanted to chat. You could see that. And uh, we spent fifteen to twenty minutes just chatting about all sorts of things, life history within a few minutes. And I've seen him three times since then. And all of a sudden, talking to a stranger just in person was so valuable because. I haven't been talking to people in person. And so I think that's uh, that. And for that, for people in business, that's been the same. My son is uh, is working from home. He's uh, still working five days a week, in fact, longer, but he's working from home. He's not having that personal interaction. Now he has his family, so that's okay. But I think that's something that uh, we're missing. Mm. And I think people working at home will be missing. And I'm hearing that people are saying, well, we may not go back to work and maybe I like working at home. But that personal contact, the, the real 
in-person contact, I think is so important. You know, I've made great friends on the internet and on Zoom that I'll never meet, but it's not the same. So I think as we look forward, we have to balance that desire to work from home and do a lot of good things with the need for us to have personal connection. So those are some of the things that come up for me. Mm, thank you. You know, it's interesting you say that because I come from kind of two perspectives. And so my corporate profession is cybersecurity. And, you know, these folks are pretty techy lots of times. And I just spoke to a guy the other day, a former colleague, and he's missing exactly what you're talking about, Paul. He's saying the human beings, oh, where are they, right? And I'm thinking if it's impacting someone that's that introverted and naturally doesn't mind being on his own, you know, I can see why it's impacting someone that, you know, that's extroverted like myself. Um, and I, I feel it. So yes, it, it really does change us. And I think um, my, I question sometimes, will it change it? I'm hoping it, it's a great opportunity and changes us longer term mm -hmm. rather than something, you know how when you're sick and then you feel better again, you, like when, when you're sick, you're going, oh, good health, that was the best thing ever. Right. And then you get healthy again and you just eh, forget about it. You know what I mean? <laughs> And I hope it's not like that. I hope we then cherish the kind of relationships that we, and, and that's, I think, something to think about now so that we make, you know, that effort when it does come back. Mm. And, and something, sorry to continue, but uh, Jane, when you were talking about, again, lip service to these things, right. you know, through the clients I have, through my meditation business, through old colleagues I'm talking about, um, and through when I was, you know, and when I've been in a corporate setting, uh, sometimes it does feel like lip service to these things. And I do, I do sense there is a shift because there's such more of a demand uh, that people want, uh, you know, especially at this time, their mental well-being, mental health to be looked after. Mm. And I think this is a really big opportunity for corporations to embrace that. Yeah. I've got, I've got a friend in London yeah. that used to do a two-hour commute to work and a two-hour commute back. He's, he's got back four hours a day, but then couldn't spend them how he wanted to in terms of fitness, walking more, seeing more people, meeting with friends, because he was in lockdown. And as we're starting to open up now, he's starting to see the possibilities open to him with these extra four hours a day where he can you know pretty much do whatever he likes <clears throat> and i think it's th this is why this anticipation is with me i i don't know how people are going to find this either with the new time or with what uh, paul was talking about is the lack of you know community the work community because again, I've got, I've got, the, or most of my friends are techies. And I came to realize this when I looked at my list of friends. <laughs> and I was thinking, Nick, you've got to go out more. You've got to do some more stuff. Because even my, I, I, I joined a lot of meetups and stuff like that. And even they were tech based. So I think I've got to look out for that. But I've got a friend who is in a multinational company. And um, he 
he's now working from home and he's exactly saying he doesn't look forward to going back. And, and this, the strange thing was he's, he approached his company two, two and a half years ago and said, can I work from home? And they said, no. Uh, but since everyone now is working at home, they found their productivity has skyrocketed. And the potential is to save, even on one building, the lease, $40,000 a month. And they're thinking of just not bringing everyone back as a company. But the reason this lip service thing is where the link is, are they doing it just because it's money? Or, or are they doing it for the, for the benefit of their employees? And then the other question is, do they really have um, like a, a, a duty of, oh, I don't know, compassion to their employees to bring them back to work so they can all, you know, have this social interaction? Is that really what that business is about? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, just the very title of our conversation today has some underlying assumptions of what we need to be for for like overcoming stress you know making sure our mental health is is okay and our own self-care but i wonder how like the pandemic and the quarantine has really started to spotlight these different areas of like mental health and employee well-being in ways that i mean we kind of knew about them before but it's almost like it's accelerated our focus right now to really start to think about well what do we need you know what do our employees need and what do i need to stay feeling connected maybe um feeling like i still belong somewhere because these are all primal needs that we have as humans but also i mean paul you raised the physical connection the difference by being in person in somebody's presence and talking not just being over virtual and I wonder, like, is that something we need rather than just what we want? Yeah, it's a great question. And uh, I think as, as want, a lot of people are saying, I don't, I don't want that anymore. But whether we need <laughs> it is a different question. Yeah. You know, people yeah. are saying, well, I don't want to go back to work. But uh, that's okay for a couple of months. I think in the long term, we do need it. We need the interaction. We don't get to know people and get to work with them as well as we can unless we have that social interaction. And I think that's a, it's okay for a couple of months. I think people are starting to, and I'm just sensing it with the people I'm interacting with. It's, it's enough already. Right. You know, I, 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 I want to get back so that I can talk to someone face to face. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I hear people being let go, being fired on Zoom. Mm. And you think, well, I mean, that must be very difficult. And it comes back to, for me, leaders and leadership. And I don't, I don't think we can expect leaders who have been rather directive and, and lack compassion to suddenly flick up a switch and say, oh, now I'm a, I'm a caring leader. What are we going to do to help those leaders develop from being focused on the numbers and focused on the objectives to getting the balance? And, and we can't just shift away totally from the numbers. We still need to achieve the numbers. Right. We still need to achieve our objectives. But how do we get leaders to balance that with more care for 
the individual and just as you were saying just now the self-care yeah. are we taking care of ourselves and I think that's going to be a big question too because if we're not taking care of ourselves uh, you know with meditation mindfulness being careful I mean for me I walk every day um, and quite a long you know I take a long walk um, but taking care of ourselves is going to become really important as leaders then once we take care of ourselves we can start taking care of others for me that's going to be the challenge how do we help leaders shift from uh, this directive style which is far too common in my view to being a caring and compassionate leader oh, great question mm -hmm. and that's the thing i think with this situation we have it is pushing us to evolve but at this kind of poignant time we have a choice and some people if they get wrapped up in this fear if they don't have any other tools and that's all they know they're going to go further down that path and if you are able to be aware and kind of question then you're able to push through that and evolve do you see what i mean and i and i think those people that are ripe for that we can present many tools so that they can further down that path because it is an absolute opportunity to kind of make a choice to step in mm. yeah and those are the leaders that you we can be there for does, you, does that make sense? Like to kind of help them and for then, if they can establish that within themselves, then they are then compassionate to help others that are within their firm as well. It may be though that the, the, the leaders now, like following on from that, the leaders now haven't got the experience and skill base for the situation that is arising because I, I, I've got an 18 year old son who lives almost entirely online. He, he's got his phone in one hand and, he, and he, he plays on his computer with his friends in a community um, at night, you know, when he comes home from work. And so his whole experience of community is kind of online. So he wouldn't have any issue transitioning into you know at least to start off with it transitioning into uh working from home and online type of experience um but everyone on this on this uh, round table at the moment is of a certain age we're a little bit older <laughs> and and i constantly bat on my son that if he wants to talk to me he has to telephone me Yes, and he says, Dad, it's not telephone, it's phone. <laughs> he has to phone me, I have to talk to him. But if I want to communicate with him, I'll text him because that's his preference. And so we've already got, you know, within a you know, couple of generations, this little bit of tension. And where are the leaders placed? Are they placed more towards kind of the younger workforce coming in? Or are they firmly entrenched within the older workforce, which is current? Mm -hmm. And you're speaking to something there that I'm noticing in the conversation, so I'm just going to speak to it, which is that almost there's an underlying assumption beneath what, what you're all saying, really, that is, you know, previous to COVID, there wasn't a lot of space for like mental health or well-being within organizational or corporate life. And now there's an increased risk that means we need to look at this 
you need to look at this now. So I may have paraphrased there or said something wrong, but I'd love to know what you think about that because it's almost like we're speaking to a shift that's happening. But is it really? Is it really there? <laughs> I don't know. You know. I think there was a shift happening before too. Right. Um, and the shift I want to, to draw attention to is this shift into more mindfulness. Mm. And, you know, there are a lot of organizations that have started down that path. Now, some are further than others, but really taking care to be more mindful about what's going on. Now, mindfulness requires us to stop, right. just to take time. And if it's, you know, just before a meeting, just to take a breath, to be more mindful about what's going on. Um, and for me, you know, I'm into raising consciousness. And so right. it's about awareness. And so I always start with, you know, the question both, you know, in, in workshops and meetings, but also with our coaching clients is starting with, so what are you noticing? Yeah. And noticing, first of all, inside here. Yeah. So when we think about self-care, what are you noticing about what's going on here? How are you showing up? And then what are you noticing in the people you're with? And then... What are you noticing in the environment, whether that's in the meeting room or the office or the Zoom call or the bigger environment of the planet, but really paying attention. And for me, as we, uh, as we see this shift, I'm hoping that this, uh, this, this concept of mindfulness, of being more conscious, more aware, that we really create the space for that. Mm. And you know whether it'll happen, I don't know. Will it accelerate it? I hope it does because we have created some space and I hope we can create that space as we return to, I hate to say any normality, but, uh, but to a work environment where we're, you know, we're back to being busy. Yeah. You know, I, I, these are really good points, Paul. I think, um, I think there is an appetite for it. I think there are more conscious leaders um, that maybe just haven't popped their head up yet. Does that make sense? Because I know as an example, when I've gone for, uh, from the professional side, uh, the cybersecurity side of things, and I've gone into big corporations, and I also then tell them that I teach meditation. And you know what? Then we end up talking more about meditation than cybersecurity a lot of the times. And at first that really surprised me. But it's that they go, ooh, Oh, you did that? Okay. And then the conversation just flows and they, get, they have an excitement around it. And so when I look back, whatever it was over 10 years ago, and I was still in a corporate setting, and I first, well, actually it was 15 years ago when I started to meditate and then I decided to teach, whatever, 10 years ago. And I was timid to tell people what I was doing because I, I thought they would think I'm a cuckoo bananas, right? And lo and behold, once I accepted it, so did they. Do you see what I mean? And so I think a lot of leaders are probably there. So when I talk about it, they, they're already meditating or they're interested. They want a session. I'm teaching it, you know, at work suddenly. So I think they're ripe. And so coming in with ideas and, you know, giving them tools that they can then share. I, I, I think it's a good moment for it. Mm. Let's hope, yes. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. So do we perceive these times as being of higher risk right now for these things we're talking about, for mental health, for stress, for kind of ignoring self-care? 
it's interesting you say that, isn't it? What, mm. There is that, um, I'm going to say a Zen saying something about you, you should meditate 20 minutes a day. Yeah. Unless yeah. you're really busy, then you should meditate an hour. <laughs> yes. <laughs> something like this. Yeah. And I was just talking to a former student who was, you know, meditating an hour to two hours a day for uh, quite some time. And she said, Julie, I just can't get myself to meditate. What's happening? Right. Mm -hmm. So I, I think these times are tough um, for some people that they, but I said to her, you know, it's just, you're reaching a block at this moment. Um, you know, it's time to dig deep and look at your real intention. And, and, you know, there is an opportunity to flourish and go back to the practice, maybe not to that hour you were a day, but perhaps 15 minutes. It's a new beginning. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. So I wonder with the, your question, uh, Jane, um, whether there's greater risk or greater opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard uh, a number of times uh, this phrase that we're all in the same storm, but we're all in different boats. Yeah. And for me, that's really resonated because it is unusual that we find ourselves globally in this same storm of the COVID-19 pandemic. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, I've never experienced anything like this. So we are in the same storm, but we're in so many different boats. And I've been fortunate, I was uh, on a panel last week listening to uh, some youth from around the world, from different countries, just sharing their experience from Singapore and uh, Sri Lanka, Serbia. It was just an incredible experience to hear their, their stories. And their stories are stories of hope. And they're really doing some good things to help others in this, in this experience. So I think there is an opportunity um the risk is that we don't take that opportunity mm, right. that's for me is the risk yes mental health uh, issues are going to be there's a higher risk of mental health there's no doubt about that in my mind we're all experiencing different issues around mental health you know for me personally that anxiety level is higher than it's been for a, a very long time um and you know i I'm an intellectual, so I can intellectualize it away, but it's still there. And everyone's suffering in just in different ways and some more severely than others. And so I think it comes back to, yes, there's risk. And how are we going to help? Particularly as leaders, how are we going to help those who are really suffering? Because many times mental health is, is not seen. It's a hidden illness. Many people have suffer, are suffering from mental health issues we don't notice it so you know again coming back to leaders we have to be aware and really you know noticing the the suffering that people are going through and spending the time to listen how are you feeling today what is going on and just listen for some of the things that are not being said i think that's that's the risk and that's the opportunity for leaders is to take the time and I think that's where the personal contact is important so that you can take the time just for people to share and for us to notice what needs to be done. Yeah. I love that you speak to that because um, I think it's, it's really important that we see there, there are risks and 
opportunities, you know, abound here. Um, and I also like that you're speaking to, you know, the opportunity for leaders, because one of the old sayings that I, I think I learned this probably the first year as a consultant, which is if it's not measured in an organization, it won't get done. Right. <laughs> right. And then I think about what you're talking about there. And it's such a different way of relating in an organization for leaders to create the time because these are invisible aspects of leadership. This is, are you going to do the right thing when no one's looking kind of thing? Because eventually you will get the great results from relating in that way and listening deeply to your employees, your staff, your people, all your stakeholders really, but it's not measured. And so for me, it comes back to this. I kind of go up a few levels and think, it's not just about the individual leader here having the challenges and the risks and the opportunities, but also the systems at a systemic level. How are we going to define leadership in organizational life going forward so that we create the opportunities for leaders to relate and listen more and be compassionate and take care you know, of their people in maybe different ways? And so if we can shift our value set culturally, right, maybe leaders can then align with that. But it's almost like if I was to think of like going back into office life now or organizational life, it's like we'd be going back into the old value set, the old culture as it was. Whereas I'd love to see like leaders getting together and redefining life working life in a way that might be maybe a little bit more restorative a little bit more regenerative than it has been but it might just be my weird view i don't know <laughs> i think people have got to be ready that, that, that you know you can say something to someone a hundred times and it, and it's the hundred and first time when they're ready that the message lands and if they've been listening and watching what's been going on there have been some great opportunities that people have embraced so fully that if they could make that transition and turn around and say could i lead in this way in my corporate life because we we know someone jane called sasha who <clears throat> uh that her community she lives in new york so the community was suffering badly from covid19 and then Recently, they had some problems with writing um, and she saw a real need within the community and she led because she contacted a local cafe that had been broken into and, and randomized. And she asked if she could use the facilities to um, create meals for people in need in the community. And they said yes. And everyone embraced it. And she, she got food donated <coughs> and all sorts the leadership that she chose, she showed then for her community was phenomenal. And so many people were affected. If someone could bring that mindset into corporate, what an amazing opportunity right now when everyone is saying, we've never been here before. What's this landscape look like? And so now is, is ideal times where everyone's, you know, in the same storm, Paul. 
but what's it going to be like when the you know the rain stops and the clouds dissipate what's going to happen there what are we going to be left with see as you say that i think of that other quote a rising tide lifts all boats <laughs> right <laughs> so what's the tide going to be <laughs> that can lift us all into a high level of consciousness <laughs> with this Well, I think the tide is going to be individual leaders. Um, I've always felt that it's very easy to aggregate. And, um, you know, people talk about organizational change. Well, I remember when I first met Richard Barrett 20 years ago, he said, organizations don't change, people do. (laughs) And that has stuck with me for 20 years and um, it it does remind me as people go back uh, after this whatever whatever the change is as we go back into business that individual leaders it's up to individual leaders to say I'm going to be different to notice what's happened over the last few weeks and the next few weeks and then set an intention that says I'm going to show up differently I'm going to show up differently. I'm going to show up with a better balance between focusing on delivering the the objectives and the goals for the organization, which still has to be done. We're we're in a capitalist society. We need to be profitable. We need to have a, a business to run. But can we balance that with the care and compassion that everyone I think is now starting to look for. And I think it is down to individual leaders to step up and say, I'm going to take this opportunity to be different, to show up differently than I have in the past, wherever we are. And I like your idea idea of this rising tide lifting all boats, (laughs) because it only takes a few of the leaders to really say, I'm going to do something differently, particularly at the senior levels. And others will, they'll follow so I do think it comes down to individual leaders. And, uh, you know, I hope op- the, those leaders will just take the opportunity just to reflect and say, what do I want to do differently as a result of this experience? So if I were to ask you guys, right, if there's any leaders listening now, I'd love to us to kind of get a little bit granular with this. Like, what is it that we would like to humbly request that leaders are more mindful of you know to create a new normal in a way to really take care of the mental health and the well-being of their employees i mean what is it we're actually asking that that difference is and would be it might be semantics but if if I say, if we go back to what was normal before, for me, the key words is go back. We're not going forward, we're going back. We're just going back to normal, what was normal then. Um, I would say to people, what happens if you didn't go back, but you went forward? What does forward look like for you? What does forward look like for your employees? And what does forward look from that point there? What does forward look like for the community? that you're in, that your business is in, for your nation and for the world. I mean, we don't have to put a cap on it. But 
what does it look like going forward? That'd be for me. Nice. And I think, you know, what Paul said earlier, that idea of just asking and listening, you know, I think yeah. that's the first step, really. Yeah. And those people that are ripe, those leaders that are ripe, will then appear and then help guide. Yeah. And yeah, that was what came up for me, I think, just in terms of listening. I, that was when I thought about you know, what one thing would I want to hear more from a leader? Well, I wouldn't want to hear more. I want them to listen. <laughs> I really think that it's, it's an opportunity to listen. And I use the phrase listening with all the senses, mm. you know, not just listening with our ears, but with our full attention and, yeah. and listening when, you know, we get that reaction in our bodies there's some sensation there that says something's not right here. Our intuition, you know, I'm, I'm someone who lives in my head. I've been really practicing trying to get down to my heart and, you know, get a little bit into my gut and sort of use that intuition. But I think if leaders can listen more, then they can move forward to say, okay, so how can I help? You know, servant leadership is, we, we use that phrase, how can I serve? Now, not everyone likes that phrase, but, and so sometimes it's better to say, well, how can I help you? But coming from that place mm -hmm. is very different from a leader telling you what I need. Yeah. So yeah, listening is going to be, for me, that would be the one thing I would ask. Yeah. You know, and what I'm noticing here is that's quite different to the way that leadership has been taught sometimes in the past about you know building your confidence and and i'm going to use these terms because i can't think of anything else to say to to make my point but the very masculine identity of leadership as being more forceful more confident more outspoken more extroverted and now it feels to me like we're talking about more receptive skills, more maybe, dare I say, more feminine, softer skills, which is kind of, for me, in the energy exchange, like completing that exchange. We're not just about what we do as leaders, but we're also about like how we listen and receive so that we can you know, have powerful conversations, so we can create strong relationships with people. And I think in the past, it's been very, let's do. And now we're in this more receptive space of, well, let me listen. And let's talk about who I'm being in this moment, not just what I'm doing. And maybe that, that first step then is, and again, alluding to what Paul was saying, is training the leaders with tools to be more intuitive, to mm -hmm. tune into themselves first. So they are more able or able to listen with greater ability yeah and i'd love you to speak julie to meditation because i know you're a meditation teacher and i'd love to know what kind of like benefits there are for things like mental health and lowering mm. stress through meditation yeah absolutely um so that most people come to me, the big three reasons is for sleep issues, anxiety, and stress. So there's 
many different techniques you can use. Mm -hmm. um, and this is where, so in this moment in time, those things to me are just, again, it's triggering us in a much deeper level. So what we're experiencing is those same kind of things, but in an exponential level. Mm. Yeah. So to me, one of the biggest things that I'm teaching at this moment, again, there's a variety because people are worried in some cases about their health and, you know, boosting immunity and so on, but is however they're feeling, the mindfulness of feelings to me is a very key aspect of this because whatever it is, whether it's anger or sadness, and we're all going through these things is to actually allow yourself rather than resist that, that feeling because we're trying to get rid of it instead of accepting it. And in order to uplift ourselves, we actually have to be okay with where we are at at this moment. Yeah. And so I think for people that are very worried or continuously anxious, uh, struggling with mental health and stress, this is one of the key aspects that I teach with the methods. Again, to be okay that I am not my emotion, to start watching the impermanence of all your emotions and thoughts and be more accepting of that and then start working with things uh, again i think paul was uh, uh, alluding to this idea of tapping into the heart chakra through practices even simple things like loving kindness gratefulness compassion those types of meditations can be extremely helpful and it, it does focus on this sense of tapping into it within you, that sense of love that just naturally flows from all of us. And then you, you can have that feeling that just starts to then flow outwards. And then you're, again, what we're talking about in um, corporations, it, the compassion flows from you more na just naturally. So it all ties in, but I think it absolutely has to start with being comfortable with yourself and whatever arises within you. Because if we start to run towards where we want to go which is feel better actually you're kind of losing the power of what's already within you in the energy and and really what, what we're doing is transforming that energy it's simply that mm. you know and as i'm listening to you i'm noticing that what we're really talking about here is a a real it's almost like we're reimagining work <laughs> We're reimagining, redefining what it means to be at work, to be a leader even. There feels like when I listened to your language there, you said heart chakra and straight away mm. I, I felt something inside because we're talking about it in the context of leadership and organizational life. And I can just imagine saying the word chakra to a number of my clients. And I mean, that would just cause them to contract completely, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Just that very word. So I love that we're speaking to this in this way because it sounds so simple when each of you talk about individual leaders and then, you know, the meditation, the listening and all these things. It's, it almost sounds obvious. And yet what I want to say is that it's also very challenging. And, sorry, I, I, I have to say <laughs> something about that, the idea with the heart chakra, because again, yeah. 15, 20 years ago, I thought like cuckoo bananas, lady, what are you talking about? Right? Yeah. Too woo woo for me. 
and actually I kind of like like little bits of throwing that in because <laughs> actually it shows somebody, you know, what is that reaction really about? Yes. And if you can get them to kind of embrace that a bit more, it, it, it helps them to ask themselves questions. And I think yeah. that's really powerful actually. I think you're right. And if I think of my conversations with leaders over the past six weeks or so, it's, it shifted completely from trying to like keep them aligned with their development track and the outcomes they came to coaching for. That's kind of fallen. I've placed that to one side for now because a lot of the conversations around the shock, the trauma, the anxiety, the worry, the stress, they're just going at a million miles an hour and they don't even realize that that's what they're doing. Just saying to one of my clients a few weeks ago, you know, you're speaking a lot faster than you normally do. Like, like what's going on? Really? What's going on with you? What's happening? And he hadn't even realized that he was showing up differently. So yes, I'm just a big yes <laughs> to what you're saying. <laughs> Oh, so let me ask you another question then, guys. I mean, sense of the future, right? If I talk to anybody right now, they're all like, oh, what do you think the future is going to be like? Well, how are we going to come out of this? What, are we going back? Are we going forward? Like, what are we doing? So I'd love to get a sense of, you know, what you're being mindful of and, and what your vision is of the future you'd like us to head into. Well, it's interesting. I was just listening to the news at lunchtime here in the UK, and there was a big announcement that uh, for a record two months, we have not used coal for power generations. Oh. And, uh, you know, the, the coal-fired uh, power generation uh, places are, uh, won't, won't be used as much, and we're using more wind energy and all of those good things. So there is good things happening. Yeah. Uh, but on the other hand, I also see this whole idea of sustainability and ecological action, climate change. I see that being put a little bit on the back burner. And so, you know, I've been asking myself, what can I do to make sure it doesn't just drift onto the back burner? Because, you know, I, we're in a life-threatening situation, so I understand that it's not the top priority today. But as we go forward, can we bring back these much longer term issues back onto the table and really start to refocus on, you know, our, our sustainable future? Mm. And that, you know, that's just a concern for me. And, uh, you know, I've read a little bit about that. And so, as I say, I come back to the question, so what can I do? What can I do to make sure it reappears if you like it doesn't just disappear um that that that's just a worry it's just a worry yeah yeah and you're absolutely on point because the barrett value center have identified that sustainability is particularly in the long term is not a concern for leaders right now right. in this space they're more concerned with immediate things that are more like coming faster at them through the pipeline than things that are further away and i think that's always the danger 
But I love that you brought that up, Paul, because of course, COVID didn't happen in like isolation in a way. It, it came into what was already a very challenging space with the climate issues and the different things that leaders were facing on that front. And of course, with the sustainable development goals from the United Nations, this framework that we have access to now that defines what the world needs. Right. It's probably the most comprehensive framework we've got defining what the world needs from us. And yet, you know, we're still very slow on the uptake with that. So I love that you're taking a stand for that, because I think it's a really important stand that we do keep bringing the conversation back to. Yes, we've got to deal with the immediacy and we've got to look strategically at the long term and what we are and who we are going to be, not just what we're going to do. So I love that. Hmm. Nick, what's your view of the future? I, you, you know, I, I deal with tech and what they say is that you, you can't even predict, you know, in four years time what the tech's going to be like. It changes so quickly. It's, it's almost impossible to keep up with it. And I feel that real life, as <laughs> opposed to tech, real life has taken, uh, like, just this amazing series of events rolling one after the other to get us to a point where, you know, I don't know what's going to happen in, in, at the end of this year, let alone what's happening two or three years ago. When, uh, who's my favourite TED talker? Um, what's his name? Sir? Ken, Ken Livingston. Ken. It's a Ken. <laughs> He turns around and he says, you know, we, we've got an education system preparing students for a life that's not going to exist when they graduate. Um, you know, so he's talking like 15 or, you know, 18 years in, into the future. And, and I struggle to find out what we're going to be doing at the end of this year. So I don't, I, I, I've got, I'm hopeful. <laughs> I'm hopeful that people will have done, because of their experiences, Maybe they've done some inner work. Maybe they've been subjected to something that was a little bit out of their ballpark normally, their normal place that they kind of go to, the place they play. Maybe that has just put a little bit of a wedge in that, you know, over a period of time now is going to open up that gap. Mm. And it's hope because we just don't know. It's true, we don't. And just to show a little bit of hope there, I was really encouraged. I, I recently signed up for a Coursera program on Beyond the Sustainable Development Goals. That was what it was called, run by the University of Michigan. And I was really encouraged that um, they opened the course for enrollment and this, everything collapsed because they had over 55,000 people wanting to register. And I thought, Yes, that's the world I want to live in. <laughs> Julie, how about you? Yeah, it, on a personal level, it's that embracing the uncertainty as much as I can um, and tapping into that hope that Nick talks about. And I do believe in that power that when you're tapped into something like that, it like it's like a group meditating there is a lot of power in that 
And so when I'm teaching, if we can as a group and, you know, conscious leaders like ourselves, being able to kind of put that out into the universe makes a big difference, actually. Yeah. Um, and I was watching something by Eckhart Tolle not that long ago, and he was talking about this again, this idea of worry. And he, you know, he was homeless for some time. And he said, you know, I thought sleeping in a car, God, you know, I can't even imagine that. He said the projection of that thought was worse than the actual actuality of doing it. Mm. And actually, you know, that gives me loads mm. of hope is that everything that I'm creating in my mind is actually probably not nearly as bad as I th I'm living it in this moment if I'm, right. you know, when, as I'm projecting it. Yeah. So kind of, so what, you know, and yeah actually tap into the possibilities remember you know the, the infinite field of possibility instead yeah that's a great point mm. it really is and you know that idea of projecting into the future whether we do that positively or negatively it's just a thought <laughs> isn't yeah. it and we are not what we think so um yeah that's a great insight there yeah okay guys i'm noticing the time so um final question really if there's something you'd hoped we'd get to today something you'd like to share with the listeners in this area what might it be so for me i uh, came across a practice um it's actually on mindful.org i think that I've just found really uh, resonated with me. And it's just a very simple STOP practice, the acronym STOP. Mm -hmm. And so the, the, the S is simply to stop, to take a moment of mindfulness, to just breathe, a purposeful pause, to stop the inner voice. Right. So simply stop. And then the T, the T of stop is take a conscious breath. Just breathe and focus, just focus on the breathing. It's just a meditation. It doesn't need to be long. It can just be a few seconds just to focus on the breathing. And the O is observe. So for me, that's about noticing. We talked about noticing earlier on, noticing what's going on inside, in others, in the environment, becoming aware of what's going on our emotions our thoughts as you just said our thoughts are there but we can we can manage our thoughts we can put a different thought there mm -hmm. so really observe and bring we talked about self-care but self-love and compassion to ourselves and just let go of the tension and the um the anxious thoughts and then the p is proceed proceed with intention and, uh, and really take the next step very consciously with increasing confidence. So that stop just seems to me a nice practice. And uh, it can just take 15 seconds. It doesn't need to take long. Yeah. Thank so you. I just wanted great. to share that as a, as, a, as a practice for all of us to, uh, to take on. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Thank you. My thing is, is if you want to be in a better world, then take part. Um, you don't have to do it all for sure. Um, 
but there is a part for you to play you have to identify it and then step up basically step up so i'm doing a 21 day abundance um program at the moment by deepak chopra and the thing that i'm finding interesting is that uh a number of aspects of the word abundance and what abundance means uh, are being presented. And I like that because most people think abundance is purely monetary. Um, but it's not. And in our world today, where we may feel with everything that's going on, that abundance is missing. You know, maybe it's a case of if we reframed our idea of abundance we would just have a different experience of what's going on in the world. It wouldn't detract in any way from the seriousness of things that are going on. But they maybe they wouldn't impact us in the same way of maybe feeling despair or, or kind of thinking the world, you know, the world's burning. Um, and maybe if we came from an abundant mindset where we were, we were compassionate to people do, that were going through problems, that maybe they were going through the same thing. But abundance, compassion, consciousness, all these ideas, are the, the inner manifestation, the inner work, then manifested itself outwardly. I don't know, I'd love, I'd love people to do a bit more inner work. <laughs> you know, wouldn't we love, love that? What a world would we, would we be creating? Great. Thank you, Nick. Absolutely. And I think it comes back to that where I was saying now is a time when we can make choices and depending on where people will make that choice and where they start at to begin with, they can go down that path of, um, you know, if they go through that inner work where we create a, a wonderful new world. And, and some people will, we have to accept that some people will be in a place of fear. And that will be the place and also be compassionate towards them. If we're really uh, walking the talk, we have to be compassionate towards that as well. But from a personal power perspective, be careful where we place our attention right now, I think is really important, actually. Um, and again, something that Eckhart, coming back to what you're saying about abundance and what, what does it really mean? He was talking about uh, Eckhart Tolle about manifesting and I loved his sentence about you are the or anything that you desire that to manifest is icing on the cake so coming back to that genuine happiness that's within if you can tap into that everything is just icing on the cake and this idea you are the cake yeah. I think mm. if we can see abundance as that that's mm. helpful for me that's helpful thank you well, guys, thank you so much for investing your time and energy with us today. Um, I know our listeners will have really enjoyed the conversation and probably got quite a few insights along the way. So thank you so much to each of you for showing up. Thank you. Thank you, Jane. It was wonderful. Thank you. Okay, guys, this episode of Sacred Changemakers was brought to you today by our sacred community for individuals who want to make our world a better place. That's Changemakers Society. And you, dear listener, were born for these times. We can all be changemakers. The world needs you. But perhaps you don't know how to make a 
meaningful difference or what it is that you can do to help. So we want to invite you to visit us at sacredchangemakers.com where you can sign up for our five-day program, Awakening the Changemaker Within. This is free to all podcast listeners and just come home to yourself at your very core. We believe that within each of us lies the possibility to unleash the full realization of human potential. Change can be a regenerative force for good and all change begins within which can be expressed within our personal lives ultimately and then creates a regenerative social impact in our world. Again, you can find our free program at sacredchangemakers.com. Our growing network of changemakers are our sponsors who help us keep doing our work in the world. So if our episode resonated with you today, we hope you'll consider joining us. And for now, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for the work you do to make our world a better place. Until next time, lots of love.